Make way. 
such a lifeline for me because I didn't have a lot of other mom friends. We had moved when my son was young, so I had felt pretty isolated. I needed that community. I was really lost because I never planned on being a single mom, especially that young. I went to my first MOPS meeting. I loved it. It was very welcoming. I heard about MOPS um, from one of my friends. Once I came, I just finally had someone who got it. This is a group of women that just instantly cares about you and cares about your child. And they're there for you just because you walk in the door. I realized, finally, I wasn't crazy and I wasn't alone. When you give one mom access to this fantastic experience, you're actually changing a little corner of the world. I mean, it's life-changing and I'm, I'm proof of that. Teresa and I am the coordinator this year for MOPS ministry and I have been coming to this church for about three years now with my husband. When I first came to the church I was pregnant with my first baby and Chrissy McNeese invited me to MOPS and thank goodness she did because I did not know one mom friend and while motherhood is very good it's also very hard. So you do need a community and that's what MOPS is. So 
Mops um, is for mothers of little kids ages zero through kindergarten. And we meet here downstairs in the canopy room from 9.15 to 11.15, the second and fourth Tuesday of every month. And we have our first meeting coming up this Tuesday. So what happens at Mops? Well, I can guarantee you a few things. Um, we will have two hours of childcare. We will have a hot cup of coffee, and you can actually sit down and eat your breakfast. On top of that, we have mentors who will love on you and moms who are going through similar struggles that you're going through. So if you know somebody that needs this ministry, please invite them. And if you are a mom with little kids, please join us. Thank you. Teresa, We're, I'm excited about what God has been doing at Mops this past year and what he's going to do this year coming up. Uh, always excited when I see our ladies go out and minister. They're caring for people and they're, they're having breakfast. Imagine that. What a great idea. They can actually sit down and talk to adults for a few moments. And so we're thanking God for that, that ministry. Also, they need some help with Moppets, right? You need some help with people to come and help babysit. So uh, if you would be willing to do that, you talk to Teresa after the service and, uh, and she'll be happy to help you find that ministry of how you can help and care for those little babies. So we're thanking God for all that he's doing. Can we give God a hand? What a great God we serve. Amen. He's an awesome God. We'd like to welcome everyone to Crossroads. We're glad that you're here today. And uh, at this time, please pass the friendship folders down the aisle. We just want to say thank you for being here. And uh, we're excited about the mission, bringing people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is what is happening. People's lives are being transformed around this place every week. Uh, this morning, we had a baptism in the first hour. It was awesome. At the end of the first service, uh, Mark Lewis was baptized. It was an exciting day for him. All of his family was here. And then today at 2 o'clock, if you can believe this or not, and I don't do this often, folks, but I'm going to be baptizing one of our couples on the Mon River, all right? How exciting is that? Can we give God a hand for that one? Yeah. So uh, I'm excited. They, uh, that, that'll be George and Linda Deesing. So if you go to their Facebook, they said it's going to be live on Facebook at 2. And I pray that I'll be here next week after that. So we're excited about that. Uh, we're, we're, we're thank God for all these great things that God's doing. One of the big uh, things that we're doing right now is life groups. I want to encourage you to get in on a life group. Go to our church website, crossroadsministries.com forward slash life groups and register. Um, we'll get you in there. Tomorrow night, we're having a life group event, our launch event uh, here at the church at 630. Uh, please come on out to that. If you're not in a group, come and check it out. We're going to help you find a group. We're asking you to make a six-week commitment. You know, six weeks, that's just long enough to see, man, do I like this? Do I want to continue this or not? And if you don't want to continue it, you get your money back. It's a great deal. So, um, of course, you didn't pay anything either, so it's all right, right? So it's a money-back guarantee. So we want you to, I, I know, here's what happens. And I told you in a few weeks ago, one of the messages, it's like going to Sam's Club. They give you a taste test because we know you're going to love it, all right? So we're gonna, we want you to come in, take a taste test on, uh, on, on uh, Monday night, 6.30 here at the church. We know that you're going to love it. Jump in and just watch what God will do. I'm watching people's lives transformed all around this church by getting connected. They're in life groups, and God's doing life transformation, and that is a necessary ingredient. You look all in the, in the New Testament, they never did life alone. So we want, these, these aren't Bible studies on, in a house. These are life groups, a group of 5 to 12 people getting together, and we're sharing life and encouraging one another, being there to bear with one another's burdens, and we also study the Bible. So I want, you to, want, you, want to encourage you to jump in on that. Um, then, uh, you know, we're in the middle of a series right now, Broken Things. I hope that you're enjoying it. And uh, this morning, uh, Luke McLean, our pastor of ministry development, will be sharing the message this morning, for which I'm excited. It's been great last night, first hour this morning, and now this hour. It's going to be an exciting morning here. I'd like to ask you, as the ushers are coming forward this morning, if you would remember the Larisso family in prayer. Um, Justin Larisso lost his mother, Renee very suddenly this week, and uh, we want to lift that family up before the Lord. The viewing for, for Renee will be 2 to 4 and 6 to 8 over here at Jefferson. That'll be tomorrow, and then on Tuesday morning will be the funeral here at the church upstairs here. So if you'd remember Justin, uh, it's been a lot has happened in their family over the past uh, 
five or six years here. So uh, for Justin, that's a, a big burden. So let's lift him up before the Lord this morning, shall we? And as we give to the Lord, we welcome you, our guests. If you're here as a guest, please feel free to let the plate pass you by. This is for those that are regular in the grace of giving. And so let's honor our God this morning, shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we come before you and we thank you. Thank you for all that you've done, Lord. You, you've been blessing the church in mighty ways. God, we see the fruit. We see, see people getting baptized. Uh, thank you for Mark. Thank you for George and Linda this afternoon. Thank you for just what you're doing all over this church. It's going to be an exciting, uh, exciting year ahead of us as we just keep watching you bless and see people's lives transformed. God, as we come before you now, we lift up the Larisso family. Uh, our hearts go out to Justin and we lift up Justin and his wife, Melissa, and their little daughter. Uh, we, we just ask, God, that you'll comfort them, Lord. Be there to comfort them. Help us as a church to come alongside and be the church to them. God, I ask now this morning for, uh, for this offering as we give to your name, Lord. I ask that you will bless each gift and each giver. We come to you out of a heart of gratitude. We're just saying thank you. You gave everything that we have. And so as we give back to you, it's just... It's just natural to be able to give to our God. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. To the cross I look To the cross I cleave of its suffering I do drink And of its work I do sing On it my Savior Both bruised and crushed Showed that God is love And God is just At the cross
If grace was a kingdom, I stopped at the gate, thinking I don't deserve to pass through after all the mistakes that I've made. Oh, but I heard a whisper as heaven bent down. Said, child, don't you know that the first will be last and the last get a crown? My name is Luke McLean. I'm the pastor of ministry development here. And I just wanted to take us a minute before we dive into the word this morning to just to say thank you. You guys have really just welcomed us with arms wide open and pulling us aside and saying things like your name or how you came to be at Crossroads and asking us about our story. And I can just say that means more than you'll understand. And so just thanks for loving on my kids, those of you who've had my kids in children's ministry and just helping us all get connected here. I know it's funny, you're thinking, you're on staff, but we still got to root relationally. You know, we got to get anchored. And so we just really thank you for doing that. So we're just really excited to be here. And so I just want to take a minute just to say thanks. Um, last week, we started a series called Broken Things, and Ken did a great job launching us into that series. And it was very high-level stuff, and a lot of you probably left going, okay, what, what do we do now? And so this morning, I just wanted to refresh us. Those of you who were here last week, we always need a refresher. And those of you who are here brand new this morning, you know, I want to say this. For some of you, today is day one. For some of you, it's 8,652 days you've been in church. But for some people, today is one. And that's exciting. So if that's you today, we just want to say we're glad you're here. But two things that I want to just refresh us on, the first thing that we talked about last week that I want to refresh us is that God is not surprised by our brokenness. God is not looking at our brokenness, our issues, and going, oh, I didn't see that coming. You know, he's not looking at the way that, you know, we are broken or how we're broken and going like, oh, like, man, they're messed up. <laughs> I mean, it's true, but he's not surprised. And the second thing is that in our brokenness, it points us to Jesus. You know, I said something first hour that I was, just this morning, I was thinking of. And, and, you know, Scripture says that God knows when we get up in the morning. He knows when we go down at night. And I can, I'm sure I could go on to say, He knows when we drop the ball. <laughs> and He knows when the ball gets dropped on us. But He's not surprised. He's not surprised at those things. He knows us. He knows the hairs on our head. He knew us before we were born. He knew how we would become broken. He knew that we would be broken. And so the second thing is that he, he, our brokenness points us to Jesus and that we know that when we kind of, we come to the end of ourselves and we go, I'm broken, we start to ask questions like, okay, I need, I need an answer. I need something that's going to help lead me from my brokenness to help me grow, and that's Jesus. So just keep those two things in the back of your head as we begin this morning. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say, I am a broken thing. Go ahead. So, yeah, here we go. Here we go. We're getting it. We're getting it. But you know what? This is interesting. Check this out. Sometimes when we come on Sunday mornings, I think, I know for me, I have to arrive at the point that I don't have it all together. Some of us get out of our car, walk into church, and we're having all these questions and issues and things we're wrestling through in our head. And a lot of it is, what are they going to think? Who am I going to talk to? Where am I going to sit? Am I going to like the music? Is whoever's speaking going to make any sense? I mean, we have all these questions in our head, but sometimes I think one way that we can set ourselves up for great success on Sunday is to go, I'm broken, I don't have it all together, and I'm okay with that. And then we expect the same thing from other people, right? So let's just go ahead and get that on the table. I am a broken thing. We are broken things. We're broken things that have messes. Broken things that cause messes. And at the end of the day, we're broken things that just are a mess. But when we come to that understanding, then 
Remember, we get it all on the table, then we can say, then we can start to move on. We can start to grow from it. We don't ditch the brokenness, we move on from it. We start to grow from it. But a lot of you, like last week, we ended and we're going, what's next? Okay, I get that I'm broken, and in my brokenness, I know that I need Jesus, but what's next? What do I do? What do I do? Action, what do we do? That's where I want to take us this morning. So would you pray with me? Father, we come before you acknowledging that we are broken things. Broken things, imperfect things, messed up things in need of a perfect Savior, and that is Jesus Christ. Father, would this morning, as we encounter you through your word, would your spirit melt the walls that we have in our lives to not just help us arrive, but to help us move forward as we grow in this walk with you. Speak to us, and we pray in great expectation, God, knowing you are moving. God, you will move, and that you are moving here in this place and in the lives of everybody here. God, we're so thankful for that. We ask everything in Jesus' name. Amen. So we start to navigate this brokenness, but it's not easy, right? Bless you. It requires us to come to the end of ourselves. I've been a youth pastor for eight years. Sorry. <laughs> so if I respond to somebody and, you know, just, just forgive me. Um, but as we start to navigate our brokenness, right? So we get, okay, we go, I'm broken. I'm a broken thing. But how do we start to navigate that? It's, it's, it's not easy. We have to move forward. And so maybe that route forward might look like you pick up a devotional at the store. So you dive in, you're like, oh man, I got this devotional. When I was in middle school, I was given a devotional by a youth leader, and it was four weeks worth of one-minute devotionals, and I went, man, I could do one minute. Some of you adults are like, yeah, that's probably me too. (laughs) One-minute devotional a day. And I remember the first two weeks, it was great. The third week, it wasn't so great. You know, it started to go like, man, I'm doing it. I'm checking my box. I got it done. It's Things are great. And, And then the third week, it started to kind of take a little bit of a dive. So then I went on to a different devotional. So maybe that's some of you. You, you, you kind of bounce the devotional to devotional. Or another one that I know that's easy to do too is we start to navigate, okay, I'm broken. How do I move forward is you dive into a book. There's great books out there. Great Christian authors write great, they write some really great books. And you dive into a book, it was recommended to you, New York Times bestseller. Some of you audiobook people. I'm an audiobook guy. So you say I listen to a book, which always throws people off. But I, you know, you listen to those books, you're reading a book, and, and then maybe you put it down after four chapters because you find five things you like and you find like ten you don't like. You're like, eh, I'm going to put it down. I know some people that will read the first three pages and the last three pages, and if they don't like them, they put it down. I'm like, man, that was a waste of 20 bucks. <laughs> but so we wrestle with those things. Or some of us, we, we write, we blog, we process more in front of a computer or through social media. Pick whatever the thing is that you do. And we do these things and we try to figure it out. Or some of us, we take our brokenness, we go, okay, here's how I'm broken. We put it in a little box, we package it all up and we leave it on a shelf and we ignore it. And that doesn't work for too long. Or maybe we take a different route and we start to self-medicate ourselves with excuses that my brokenness It's actually not that bad. Remember we talked about last week, sometimes our brokenness can show comparison. Where we say, as long as I don't look like that guy or that gal or that family or that parent, I'm good. They did this, but I did this. So we're good. Things are good. I'm not that broken. So I want us just to arrive this morning and just say, okay, I'm broken and I know that. My brokenness points me to Jesus. I, I know I see that, or I'm starting to understand that. I'm just trying to figure it out. We think we do all these things. We don't check every box. We don't do everything. What's wrong with me? Like, why can't I? You know, you hear about all these people who complete the devotional or read the book and write stuff, or you see people talking about all the things they're learning, and you're like, why can't I be like that person? What's wrong with me? And I think the answer, the problem isn't that What's wrong with me? I think the problem is we. You see, there's someone who's faced a very similar life situation as a lot of us are. He thought the problem was him, but the problem was not we or me. The problem was we. And his name was Moses. For some of you, you know that story of Moses. And so this will be a little refresher. I'm going to try to shine a different light on his story. For some of you, you're like, who's Moses? Don't worry. We're going to fill you in. Just buckle up. 
So Moses was a broken thing, and that really described his life. Moses' track record may be traced with leadership and great God-given opportunities. Think about the story. He was given opportunities to, to influence generations to come and generations. God would bless generations through him. And so it's amazing to think about that, but he was broken just like you and I. You see, the people of Israel had been held captive in Egypt for years, and Moses, God, through Moses, liberated the people from Egypt. But as soon as they come out, think about their hope. We're finally free of Pharaoh. We're finally free of being slaves. And they get out, and one of the first things that happen after they finally escape Pharaoh is they come into contact with an army called the Amalekites. And so if you turn to Exodus 17, that's where we're going to spend the most of our morning. But Amalek is the, na- is the leader of the army, which I always thought that was so, so creative. The leader was Am- Amalek, and so he calls his people, you know, the Amalekites. It, you know, creativity apparently wasn't a thing back then. But the Israelites come into contact with this army called the Amalekites. But why, why would the Amalekites come after the Israelites? Well, let's, let's rewind a little bit. So maybe you remember the story of Jacob and Esau. So Esau was promised the blessing from his father Isaac, and so Jacob was like, well, hey, I want that blessing. I want that favor from my dad. So he dresses up as brother. He you know, wears animal skin on, so he's a little bit hairier. You know, I'm follically challenged, so maybe I can get that. So he, you know, he, he impersonates his brother. Jacob impersonates Esau, goes before his father Isaac. Isaac unknowingly blesses Jacob. Esau at that point was like, that's not okay. And he carries that hatred and hostility all the way down to his grandson, Amalek. So Amalek's like, man, I'm still ticked off. So he goes after Moses and the Israelites. Does that not sound like us? We carry hostility, not forgiving or half forgiving, whatever that is, carrying hatred, carrying anger with us all the way and letting it pass through all family members and people we interact with and not resolving those issues, there's brokenness. Brokenness, brokenness. So here's where the story gets crazy. So if you kind of look in in chapter 17, we'll start in verse 8, but I want to give you a little bit of background. This is the first time we really hear about Joshua, which I thought was interesting. So Moses, a good leader that he is, a good leader that he was, he knows that he can't just delegate a job, a task. He has, to je- he has to delegate ownership. Good leaders, great leaders, delegate not just the task, but they delegate ownership with it. So Moses says to Joshua, you are the guy. I want you to lead our army, and I want you to find people. Moses says, Aaron and her and I are going to go up on top of this mountain. Now, as a broken human being as myself, I'm going to go, so if I'm Joshua, I'm going, wait a minute. Let's back up. You know, Moses might have been, here's your sword, here's your stuff, go pick your army. And as he starts to go, yeah, like Joshua's this young guy, he's ready to go fight this battle. He's like, that's great. Oh, where where are you going? I'm going up on the hill to pray. What? Good for you. Seriously? Like, that's what you're going to do. But Moses is confident for, for, for a lot of reasons, and we're going to talk about that. But let's, pick, let's, let's go ahead and pick up the story in, in chapter 17, verse 8 and 9. It says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So why is Moses so confident in God's power? Let's back up, go into chapter 16. So just flip a, a page or two back and look, look in verse 11. It's also on the screen too. Or swipe back too, I guess. So we're, we're hearing about the Israelites are in the desert and they're hungry and they're thirsty because they're normal human beings like the rest of us. And it is 11.43 on a Sunday, so maybe you're starting to relate. The people are hungry and thirsty and this is what the Lord says to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumblings of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight, you will eat meat. Praise the Lord. It says, and then in the morning, you'll be filled with bread. Man, two courses. That's great. We're used to zero. (laughs) Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So we see there that God provides the the food to the Israelites. Also, right before this battle, Moses 
early in, in chapter 17, he uses a rod to strike a rock and provide water. So look in verses 5 through 6 in chapter 17. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. It's almost like in that moment, God had to remind Moses, Don't forget what I did through you in Egypt to cause your rod to touch the Nile, to turn into blood, to show Pharaoh that I am the one true God. It's like he had to remind him. We always need those little reminders, don't we? And he says, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. And I, <laughs> I was thinking, you guys ever been like done with gym class and been at the end of the line waiting for the water fountain? And you're sitting in the back there and you're like, it's, you know, I've got two minutes to change and get a drink and go off to class. The bell's going to ring and we're sitting in the back. We're like, hey, save it for the fishes. I mean, that's the brokenness that I think about when I think about the Israelites waiting for Moses to strike the water or strike the rock and turn it and you know, bring the water out. Like they're going... Is this guy going to do this? Is this what's actually going to happen? And then all of a sudden the water comes out of the rocks and they're dumbfounded. Not only are they excited to drink water, but for some of them, I mean, they hadn't had water in days and they're excited. They're like, we're going to live. So we see here that God is really doing crazy things in the lives of Moses and, his, and, his, and the Israelites. So when Moses says, I will go stand on top of the mountain with my staff, he knows that God has used his staff to lead the Israelites to food, water, and show God's power to Pharaoh in the Nile. Oh, yeah. Remember that whole Red Sea thing? When they flee Egypt and they're getting stuck before the Red Sea and, and Moses parts the Red Sea and they go through that crazy amount of water? God did that through Moses. So maybe that's a little bit of what we can understand when we start to think, why is he so confident just to go on top of a hill and pray? So look in, in, in chapter 17 in verses 10 through 16, and we'll pick up our story. So verse 10 reads, So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. Moses and Aaron and Hur went on top of the hill, and as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. You can only imagine what that would have been like to figure that one out. You know, he could have been praying and trying to show leadership from a standpoint of, hey, I'm praying for you. God, would you protect my people? And then all of a sudden, maybe he just got tired. He put him down. And then he started to hear the cries of the Israelites as they're being destroyed by the Amalekites. We don't know exactly how things read, but we know that when he had his hands up, they were winning. When he had his hands down, they were losing. I'm sure that Aaron was probably like, hey, I think you got something there when the hands are raised. Like, stuff's happening. You know what I mean? And then Moses is figuring this out. And so he recognizes that if I have my hands up, they're winning. But if I put them down, they lose. So he goes, okay, I've got to do this for my people because if I don't, they're going to be destroyed. But just like every broken thing, he gets tired. He breaks down. He cannot do it perfectly. Let's look in verse 12 in chapter 17. It says, when Moses' hands grew tired, they, talking about Aaron and Hur, took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. That is a long time. An hour would be a long time. You ever seen, you know, those, uh, those, uh, Maybe moments where people are at a concert and they're excited and they're like, you know, going crazy. And I remember my dad was at a Promise Keepers convention and he said, man, he goes, Luke, I, it was such a great thing. I had my hands up in the air and then about 20, 30 minutes later, I was just, I woke up and, and some, some gigantic guy was, was carrying me off. My dad is like 6'3", so from somebody to carry him away, that's a pretty burly person. And so he said he was carrying me away and trying to say, sir, are you okay? And I, wasn't, I was unresponsive. And that was only after about 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and my dad had passed out. And so I can only imagine Moses being tired and what he had to wrestle with. Oh, I can't do this. But then it says Aaron and her give him a rock to sit on, and they hold his arms up till sunset. You know, remember earlier I said we try to figure things out and find that in the struggle and figuring things, figuring our brokenness out, it brings us to ask the question, what's wrong with me? Why can't I figure this out? 
The problem is not me, the problem is we. You see, Moses had to show some vulnerability. He had to allow them to enter into that moment to help him. It's not easy to be confident in God. Isn't it easy to be confident in God when you can do everything? Like, you got it all together. Man, God, you and me, we're good. Things are great. We're moving and grooving. I'm excited. But then all of a sudden, we start to break down, and we go, what's wrong with me? If Moses did not become vulnerable to let Aaron and her help, the Israelites would have been destroyed. You know, what's also incredible here, too, is that Aaron and her, without asking, step in to help. And again, we don't know a ton about her, H-U-R. We don't know a ton about her. All we know is that he was a prominent Israelite leader. So probably following Moses' leadership, excited about who he was, he said, okay, I'm signing up. I'm here to help, whatever I can do. But Aaron was Moses' brother. So if we know about people that are close to us, they've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so Aaron and Moses grew up very differently. We know that Aaron grew up in poverty and persecution. Moses sat in a little boat and floated down the Nile and then grew up in luxury. God had to ask, if you go back to Exodus 4, don't go there, but just pinpoint it for later. God actually had to tell Aaron to get back into Moses' life. He said, I want you to get back into your brother's life. I'm paraphrasing. And I want you to go up on a mountain, meet him, resolve your issues, and I want you to move forward. And then very soon after that, God uses Moses and Aaron to liberate Egypt, or to liberate the Israelites from Egypt. This guy, Aaron, has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly from Moses. And also, too, think about that story of the burning bush. God tells Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him that I am has sent you. And Moses is like, man, I can't really talk. I'm not good at the whole speaking thing. And some of you are reliving freshman speech right now. And so he says, your brother's going to speak for you. So Aaron's going, man, I'm supposed to follow you? God told you to do something. And you're like, I can't do a good job speaking. So Aaron saw Moses' reluctancy in that. They've been through a lot together. Wouldn't it make sense that's why Aaron just stepped in to help instead of asking 50,000 questions or waiting until like Moses was rolling down the hill. He just stepped in to help. We all need those people in our lives who can help hold our arms up. Just step in to help without asking. And, and also too, we can be the ones to be those people in other people's lives to hold their arms up without asking, without hesitation. So here's the, here's the resolve of the battle. Let's look in verse 14 in chapter 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek under heaven. Moses here is reminded of who's in charge, who is the true strength of the people. And so this is Moses' response to that. He goes in 15 to say, Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Just as another history point, Moses will use this battle later on in, his, in Israel's history to remind them of how God responded to Amalek. So we've got this whole concept of holding up people's arms and people holding up our arms, and so I thought I'd share a little bit. This coming October 22nd, has been, it will be a year since my mom has been with the Lord. And everything kind of came down when uh, I got a phone call from my father. We were at a conference uh, over a year ago in Morgantown, and my dad said, hey, your mom fell. She's unresponsive. Uh, the, the ambulance is coming. We'll keep you posted. So I went to another session, and then I called him back. And I'm, in my head, I'm going, what's going on? I'm, again, I'm just, I'm, I don't even know what to think. And so I talked to my dad, and my dad said, Luke, your mom has had a brain aneurysm. She's had a stroke on the front the back and both sides of her brain. She's unresponsive. She's in the hospital. When I was a youth pastor, I had a student that passed away from a brain aneurysm about three months before that. And so the timeline in my head was very fresh. And I was seeing the same things happen. So I could only think the worst. So we rushed, in, we rushed home from Morgantown. We packed the van, threw everything in there we possibly can. I think everything was in laundry baskets. And we literally flew to Chicago, like drove straight through. We get there, we say quickly, you know, we throw everybody in the bed, try to sleep and wake up that morning and we go see my mom and she's just laying there in a bed unresponsive. Still have no idea, no idea what to think, what to, what to even pray for. 
And I remember the next day after that, I called the guy who had just started. Uh, he was our leader in our life group, and I just said, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to ask you to pray, but can you just tell everybody to pray? He said, done. And then we got off the phone, and within 20 minutes, we received text messages, phone calls, people calling and saying, can we come and watch your kids? Pittsburgh and Chicago, it, it's, not, it's not next door. It's not an easy drive. And for having to say, I will take vacation to come be with you, to sit with you, to, to just be there, to, to, to take your kids, to help whatever I can. I said, no, we've got family here. Like, you do what you need to do. But I remember at that moment, God taught me that in our brokenness, he teaches us lessons that we'll never understand until we're understanding our brokenness and understand that we need people. You see, after that, that whole week we were there, People came in. They, pr- they brought in pizza. They brought in, they brought in friends that I hadn't seen in years to sit with us, to, to, to hold our hands, to, to put their arm around us, to say, we love you. This, is, this really stinks. And I, I just want to be with you. And that went way beyond anything we could have possibly expected. But I believe that at that moment, or I was, I brought myself to a point of I needed people. I could not do this by myself. Half of that week, I wasn't even knowing, like, how to pray. Like, what do you pray? You know, I believe in that moment, like, the Holy Spirit was speaking on behalf of me. And I'm going, man, that peace that passes all understanding, like, I sure don't understand anything, but I have a peace that I can't explain. Oh, okay. And I just remember that whole week, people came in and sat with us and, 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 and were hurting with us. There was even a family, this still gets me to this day. There was a family that we met. They lived in Naperville, which is where the hospital was at. And their dad had had some major heart issues. And so they found them. His dad was about three units down from my mom. And this family of four was in the waiting room with us most of the week. And we got to talking with them early on and found out that they were believers. And they said things to us like, can we, can we provide a place for your kids at our house? We live 10 minutes from here. Can, you, can, you, you know, can we bring you food? And we just said, yeah, because one, we didn't have a whole lot of money with us. It was the end of the month. <laughs> and second thing is, you know, we had family, but they were tired too. And so these people that we didn't even know, they came in and, and, and just helped us and talked with us and prayed with us and sang worship songs. I mean, that was just, I don't know. The, the, it was, it's, it, it's hard to articulate what happened that week, but we could see the presence of God throughout the whole thing, especially now sitting on this side of it. And so one of the things that really got us too was they had a woman who showed up and said, she knew my mom from when they used to work together at, at Olivet Nazarene University. And she said, we saw that you ha- didn't have a pack and play. This is early. We like forgot a pack and play for a little. And so basically everybody was hol- taking turns holding him and he was just about the brink of crawling. So he was everywhere. And he's a, he's a little baby. He doesn't know what's going on. So she tracked down a pack and play from her daughter who was like two hours away, brought the pack and play, set it up. And then we had something for Everett for our little. Like, just people showed up in crazy ways. And you know what the funny thing is? We never asked. A woman handed me money and said, this is for gas. I know you're going to need it. And we did. You know, our brokenness over my mother brought us to the place to understand a great lesson. We're better together. When I found out about three days after being there, we found out that my mom wasn't going to recover. And if she did, that it would be, she'd be in vegetative state. I, that's when I hit my wall. And I walked out to the waiting room and I walked into the waiting room and, and I saw the guy of that family uh, whose dad was three units down from my mom and he came up to me and it's like he just knew. And I'm a guy, I mean, I'm not extremely emotional, I'm not extremely touchy-feely, especially with random people I don't know. And this guy comes up to me and just hugs me and he's like, he's like, he's like I love you. And he's like, God loves you. And I'm sitting there and I'm hugging this guy. I'm bawling my eyes out. And I'm going, I don't even know you. You know, this whole we're better together thing, it's not easy. But it is so worth it. So my question is, is who's holding up your arms? Whose arms are you holding up? To give us some application, let's look in Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised, he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, 
but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The hope truly holds us up is our first point. The hope truly holds us up. Jesus is the only hope we have, and we must hold unswervingly to that. You know what's crazy is we, we know that Romans talks about Jesus as the hope, and the hope that we have in Jesus will not disappoint, and we have the hope out in front of us, and so we have that promise but we forget that so often the process comes before the promise. We have to go through life. And I'm sitting on this side of us going, man, I didn't see it. It was hard to see. I'd struggle, but man, God, you were with us. The process comes before the promise. The second thing is you've got to push each other towards action. Hold up the arms of those that you do life with. And for those of you who have people that are in your life, allow them to hold up your arms. The third thing is we have to take risks. Authentic, meaningful relationships require a certain level of vulnerability. When building relationships, be willing to take the risk. Get this. When building relationships, be willing to take the risk of being misunderstood or even rejected at times. Fourth thing is to build space in your schedule for time with friends. Relationships don't happen overnight they are carefully cultivated. We're better together. And at the end of the day, we're broken through and through, and so how do we begin to navigate our brokenness? Ultimately, we can only begin to navigate our brokenness by first acknowledging our brokenness before God. And the second thing is to know that the problem is not me. The problem is we. We're, we're better together. Having people in our lives to help us by pointing us back to the source, and that's Jesus. Let me end with this quote by Charles Stanley. In his book, The Blessings of Brokenness, he offers a challenging word. One of the greatest mental hurdles you may have when it comes to brokenness is adjusting your opinion of what it means to be a Christian and to live a Christ-honoring life. Get this. Being a Christian isn't a matter of doing. It's a matter of being in relationship with Christ Jesus. And here's the gospel. The doing work is his. So for, for those of you who call Jesus Lord and Savior, you have been a believer, maybe for years, and you're going, how do I get this whole we're better together thing? Join a life group. Build space into your schedule to make it happen. It's not easy, but it's worth it. And for many of you, you're going, I, I, I'm broken, and I, I haven't even like told God those things. Or maybe you're struggling here for weeks you've been going to this church, and you're going, I need a relationship with Jesus to first bring my brokenness to him. I want to pray for us. And uh, as I'm praying, I'm going to invite those who want to start that relationship with Christ to respond today. So would you pray with me as we end? Father, we come before you knowing that we are broken and that we need you, Jesus. Father, we also know that we're going to face the issues, the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly in this life. And we need people in our lives to hold up our arms. And God, you've called us to be those who hold up the arms of those that we do life with, without asking, without hesitation, amidst the good, the bad, and the ugly that we see in everyone's life. And we expect, God, that those who do life with us, knowing our good and bad and ugly, will be there to hold our arms up. It's not easy, but it's so worth it, God. And, and Father, I pray for those right now who want that relationship with Jesus. And if that's you, would you just... Respond just a simple prayer after me. Lord, I need you. I am a broken thing in need of healing. Jesus, your death on the cross destroys, destroy the chains that kept me captive to my brokenness. I surrender to you and desire to follow you with the rest of my life. I thank you for saving me, a broken thing, for yourself and for a purpose. We ask that in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand as we close our service? Feel